Good morning, church. We are working our way through the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 10 again this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Hebrews chapter 10. It's toward the latter part of the, uh, the book. So most of the pages will be on your left and very few on your right. Hebrews chapter 10. As many of you know, uh, Paul and I traveled to Texas. Uh, we flew out on Friday evening and got to Shreveport, Louisiana, about 11 o'clock their time, so it was midnight to us. And by the time we drove home and crawled into bed uh, with, uh, at our friend's house, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning to us. So um, we had the funeral on Friday, just a wonderful, wonderful send-off to a beautiful and wonderful man, um, a great mentor. Uh, his name was Leon Bates, and uh, as I uh, said earlier, um, he sprinted to the finish line. He was 88 years old. He'd be 89 early next year. Uh, a couple of, maybe a month ago, he stopped teaching. He was teaching every Sunday morning Bible class there in East Texas at the Pine Tree Church. Uh, so many people came, and anytime I was there, if I wasn't speaking or out of town, I was always in Leon's class. Uh, he was teaching. His favorite um, doctrine, his favorite teaching, which he said summed up all of Paul's teaching, especially in the book of Romans, was justification, sanctification, glorification. We were sanctified because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We were being sanctified, becoming more like him all throughout our lives, ultimately to the point that one day, after being faithful to God, we would be glorified. We would be like him, living eternally. And so Leon has gone on to his eternal reward, and so we were, we were very grateful. Got up about 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday in order to get back to Shreveport so that we could be here with you guys this morning. So kind of on impulse power a little bit. I had a lot of coffee this morning. I'm wired up. I'm excited to be in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like we, we think about Thanksgiving. We think about maybe any sort of big meal or things that we prepare for. You have to do all the, the groundwork. You have to go to the grocery store, buy all the ingredients, and get out the recipe books and the flour and, and, and everything, and then you, you, you get it all done, and then finally all things are ready. You come to the feast. You sit down, and you eat, and you, you enjoy a wonderful meal. That's sort of where we are now in the book of Hebrews. Um, beginning with verse 19, we come to the final section, the final section of this letter, uh, Jonathan read for us this morning. We now get to the practical application. After the writer has laid out all of this doctrinal foundation in the first 10 chapters, it's the doctrine or it's the teaching of Scripture that gives us the foundation for our behavior, for how we actually should live our lives. And somebody might say, well, Rodney, wouldn't we be better served if we heard some sermons on, you know, what it means to be a, to have a good marriage, how to be a better, you know, uh, husband or a, 
uh, a wife, or maybe we had some, some sermons on parenthood, or maybe some finances about how we could get our finances in order so that we could be out of debt and we could serve God. And, and listen, all those things are good. All those things are good, but, but all of those things are periphery. All of those things are periphery. They don't get to the heart of the matter. They don't get to the root of the matter. I guarantee you, you bring a man or a woman to Jesus, and a man or a woman falls in love with Jesus. They fall in love with this great high priest, this mediator of a new covenant that we've been reading all through the book of Hebrews. You get a man or a woman to fall in love with Jesus, they will be a better husband. She will be a better mother and a better wife. They will want to get control of their finances so that they can use them to the glory of God. All those things are good. I'm not saying we won't ever talk about those individual topics, but they're all on the periphery, not the root of the matter. The pattern here in Hebrews is really the basic pattern that we find uh, throughout much of the epistles. You think about the book of Romans. The first eight chapters, if you go through it's doctrine, it's doctrine, it's teaching. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11, it's almost kind of a parenthetical um, teaching there. But then starting in chapter 12, Paul gets to the application. Therefore, because I've, I've, I've done all of this teaching, all of this groundwork, therefore offer your bodies. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then he goes into this practical application. That's sort of what we find also like in, in the epistle, uh, the letter to the Ephesian church. There's really three chapters of, of, of teaching, and then there's three chapters of application, if you will. And so that's where we are this morning in our, in our study of, of Hebrews. The teaching provides the basis for how we should be living. Too many, I think, are trying to live a certain way. They're, they're, they're trying to be good or they're trying to, to have better morals in their life without any foundation as to why. And if you don't have the why behind how you're to be living, then it, it, it tends to fall apart very, very quickly. Oh, okay, enough of that. Three things I want to share with you this morning out of our text. First of all, let us draw near to God. Verse 22, let us draw near to God. Previously, all throughout Hebrews, as we have seen, only the high priest, only the high priest was able to draw somewhat near to God. And when he did, he did it with great fear, with, you know, trepidation. Uh, it was a scary thing to go into the Holy of Holies and to be in the, into the presence of God. And he could only do it once a year, one day of year. On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, could the high priest go in to the Holy of Holies? We read about that back in chapter 9, verse 7. So what happened to change all of that? What happened to change it? Well, in one word, Calvary. What happened at Calvary? When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What did that mean? What did that mean? Meaning that the restricted access to God, the backstage pass, if you will, 
That restricted area under the old covenant has been smashed. It's been obliterated in a moment, in a moment of time. And it was now possible for men and women through the atoning death of Jesus to make their way into the very presence of God. No longer a high priest had to go before them, but now they were able themselves to draw near to an awesome and to a holy God. And the writer tells us how we should draw near. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, with confidence, well, what is the basis? What's the basis for that confidence? Before, before the approach was, was, was tentative, and it was very fearful. But now, now we come in faith on the strength of the blood of Jesus. We've just celebrated that. We gathered around his table. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus gives us the confidence. We come to a holy God. To come before the Lord confidently it's not the same as coming before the Lord casually or flippantly or nonchalantly. We come to a holy God. When the high priest came into the Holy of Holies that one time of year, he, he came with great fear, trembling, having to offer blood, a blood sacrifice for his own sins before he could even begin to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. We come to a holy God. We come confidently, but we don't come casually. You know, this is not the sermon where you're supposed to wear your, your best, go out and buy the most expensive thing that you can can buy so that you can come to church and, and look nice and, and dress nice to go to church. This is not that sermon, okay? But it does trouble me at times where we'll dress up and go out to a nice dinner and we'll look better than we look when we come to church. Or we'll, uh, we'll go to, a, to, to see the symphony and we know that we're expected to look a certain way. And we'll dress up and we'll be more excited and, and look better for that than we do when we come into the house of the Lord. That's not that sermon, okay? That's not what I'm preaching about. But, but coming before God confidently does not mean we come casually. Ultimately, God is looking for our heart. God wants to know what's inside of us. So it doesn't matter what, how we dress. I get that. Oh, I get that so well. But we come confidently because of what Jesus has done. And when we come here... We need to come expectantly. We come confidently, but we also need to come expecting something. What did you expect this morning when you woke up and you said, today is Sunday. Today I get to go to church to worship God. Did you think, did you stop and think for a moment that the Holy Spirit of God was going to be in our midst was going to be inhabiting our praises as we sing songs of praise to God? Did you think that the Holy Spirit of God was going to be in this place this morning? 
We just gathered around the table. Bill shared some, some comments and some scriptures. Did you think that Jesus was present this morning? Did you know that he was the guest, the host of this table, and that he was present and in our midst this morning? Did, did you stop and think about that? You see, sometimes I think, <laughs> sometimes I think we come so casually on a Sunday morning that we don't stop and think that the creator, the God of the universe, holy and awesome, is going to be in this place. When Moses uh, spoke to God at the burning bush, God told him to take off his sandals. Why? Because you are standing on holy ground. This is holy ground. We have come into the presence of Almighty God because of what Jesus has done for us. And we do that confidently, boldly, but we don't do it casually. We've come into the presence of a holy God. And verse 20 says, we come by a new and living way. We come by a new and living way. Listen, Jesus is the way. Some of you may remember um, Andre Crouch. Uh, back, uh, back in the day, there was a, a, a man and a singer. His name was Andre Crouch. I know some of you remember his music. Um, he had a backup group called The Disciples, Andre Crouch and The Disciples. I think he wrote the song, Soon and Very Soon, that we sing. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. I think Andre Crouch wrote that. I'm not sure. But the song I'm thinking about is a song that, that uh, Andre sang called, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Do you know the song? Yes. Jesus is the answer. For the world today, above him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is able to save completely, completely, all who come to God through faith in him. And as the curtain was torn in two, so his body was torn for us, making a way into the very throne room of God because of what he did on Calvary. Verse 22 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, sincere, grateful to him for what he's done, accepted by him, and an undivided loyalty to him. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The picture here, again, is, is of that Levitical priesthood. The, the priest would, would slaughter the animal. They would, would drain the blood. He would take the hyssop branch, and he would dip it in the blood, and he would sprinkle. He would sprinkle the altar. He would sprinkle um, the people, and it was to cleanse them of their sins. And so the writer now hearkens us back to that. That's what Jesus has done. Just as the Levitical priesthood has done, Jesus has, has brought about a new covenant He's cleansed us, sprinkled us, um, and we're so grateful to him. The inward cleansing of the outward expression of the washing of our bodies. He says, having our bodies washed with pure water there at the end of verse 22. Now, I tend to think uh, my Bible 
has, has that phrase at the end of uh, verse 22. Let me read it to you like this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere, a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If you know anything about the Greek uh, New Testament, it was written in all capital letters. There weren't capitals and lowercase. It was all caps, and there was absolutely no punctuation. Sort of reminds me how people send text, text messages these days, except it's just the reverse. It's, it's no capitals. It's all lowercase, and there's no punctuation. And so sometimes when you're reading, you have to kind of stop and say, wait a minute, what, what exactly does that say? That's kind of the way they, the interpreters uh, when, they had, when they were reading the Greek, you had to say, where does the sentence start and where does it end? Because it, there was no punctuation. It just ran on. I want to read it to you. I think there's at least a 50-50 shot that the end of, chat, uh, of verse 22 should go with the beginning of verse 23. Listen to this. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. I think that's really maybe the way it, it should have been rendered. Having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the profession of faith. To be sure, the priest had to go through many ceremonially, ceremonial washings, okay? And so he's, he's, he's drawing that back to the reader's mind. He's talking about having... Our hearts cleansed, sprinkled, our consciences sprinkled, and now he talks about the washing with pure water. Surely he's, he's thinking about those priests and those ceremonial washings. But listen, I believe with all of my heart that he also wants these readers to remember their baptism. Having been cleansed, having their bodies washed with pure water, when they were baptized... They made a profession of faith, did they not? They stood before a crowd of people, and they said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I want to follow him. I'm leaving behind uh, the Judaism that I've known, and I'm making a profession of faith. But we've been talking all through the book of Hebrews. They, they have some fears. They, they're tempted now to go back to the sights and the sounds and the smells of the temple, everything that they've known, everything that was comfortable to them, that which they grew up with. And he's telling them, listen, when you were baptized, your bodies were washed with pure water. You made a profession of faith. And he's saying, hang on. Don't waver in your faith. Don't swerve. They were beginning to swerve. They were thinking about maybe going back, going back to that which was comfortable, that which they knew. And he's saying, don't do that. Hold on unswervingly. Why? For he who promised is faithful. You've, you left all that you knew. You're following this man, Jesus from Nazareth. He is who he said he was. He's coming back one day. Because of what he did at Calvary, his body was torn in two, just like the temple, uh, in the temple, that curtain was torn in two. And because of Jesus, now you can approach God confidently. Don't give up on that. 
You made that profession. Don't, don't stop. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Say that with me. For he who promised is... Say it again. For he who promised is faithful. I want you to think about that this week. That's your, that's your assignment this week. When you're going through your week, when, when, when things happen tomorrow, when things happen on Tuesday that, that aren't maybe the way that you want them to happen, for he who promised is faithful. When, when, you, when you get bad news, when they come in at work and they tell you you've lost the contract, things fell through, this is not going well, you come home and, and your wife hasn't cooked your favorite meal, Maybe she hasn't cooked any meal. For he who promised is faithful. And also, listen, also when good things happen this week, when you get what you were praying for, when that contract comes through, when you're blessed beyond your wildest dreams, for he who promised is faithful. That's why we have confidence. That's why we don't let go. That's why we don't swerve in our faith. So many people, oh, listen, and you've seen it, I've seen it. The very same thing happens to this family and to this family. A sickness, a death, um, cancer, tragedy, the, the, almost identical. The very same thing happens. This family drops to their knees in prayer and they draw closer to God because he who promised is faithful. And this family shattered, torn apart, marriage is strained. Why is that? Because we in our flesh, we, we tend to waver. We, 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 we have fears. We tend to struggle. We say, God, why? Why did you let this happen? Listen, this week, for he who promised is faithful. Don't forget it. Say it to yourself. Let that be your mantra this week. For he who promised is faithful. Number one, let us draw near to God. Uh, I guess we've already covered number two. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And then number three, let us spur one another on. Let us encourage one another. Verse 24 let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's almost as if he's saying, Let, let's, let's try to outdo one another. Let's try to one-up one another when it comes to love and good deeds. You know, there's always that guy that tells a story, you know, that, or, or, or you tell a story, and then the guy that always has to one-up you, you know, he always has to say something better. Oh, well, yeah. You know, well, the, the size of my fish was, you know, and it, he's always got something better, bigger than what you have, have told. I'm not saying be that guy. But what if we tried to outdo each other with love and good deeds, spurring each other on to do more? Not because somehow we think God's going to love us more because we do more. That's not why. But so that God can be glorified. 
You know, Jesus talking there in the Sermon on the Mount, Bill, you quoted from Matthew several times. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Therefore, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good deeds. What? I thought we weren't supposed to do things so people could, could see them. We're not, that's not why we're... No, no, no. He says, let your light so shine before men. This little Christian light of mine. I'm going to let it shine all the time. He says, so that they may see your good deeds and what? Give your Father praise. Glorify your Father in heaven so that, that might, they might praise God because of what they see you doing. I think that's what he's saying here in verse 24. Let's encourage one another. Let's spur each other on to love and to good deeds. And that happens from the way in which we reach out to our community, like what happened here yesterday with the meal and with the, the giving out of our, our pantry boxes. That's certainly a big, big part of this. But I think he's, he's writing to the church here, and it's about the way that we love each other in this body. Spurring one another on. Encouraging each other. So let me ask you this morning. Have you encouraged someone this morning here in this place? The day's not over. The day is young. Have you spurred someone on this morning to love and to good deeds? You know, it's so easy. It's so easy when we gather to talk about all the, you know, the, the football games yesterday. My team won. I'm happy about that. Sorry, Billy. We talk about the football games that are on today, we talk about, you know, where we're going on vacation. What, what are your plans for Thanksgiving? Or have you got a deer yet? You know, we, we talk about everything. Have you encouraged someone today? Have you spurred somebody on this morning to love, to good deeds? Why do you think folks leave the church? Oh, well... There's a laundry list, I know, and we're not going to talk about all that this morning. Folks leave for a lot of different reasons, I know. Why do you think so many young people leave us and find another church or maybe drop out altogether? Maybe it's because we've not followed the teaching of verse 24. Loving one another spurring one another on to love and to good deeds. And he goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another to obey this directive is to say yes to involvement and to say no to being isolated. It's to say yes to being involved, involved in the life of this church, involved in the lives of people. Some of you I know, I, and we're all wired up differently. Some of you are private people and, and, and you're not as outgoing and as social as others. I get that. 
There's, there's times when I like to draw back and kind of be by myself, you know? Sometimes people just get on my nerves, and I just want to be by myself because so I can have some good company, you know? Good conversation. I, I know we're all wired up differently. Some of you are social. You just want to be with people all the time. But to follow this directive, to not give up meeting together. Some, some of them surely had dropped out. They'd stopped meeting together. You see, they were, they, were, they were being pulled back into their old way of life. And he says, don't do that. Don't, don't give up meeting together. Some of you have already stopped doing that. He's, he's telling them, don't do that. He's encouraging, encouraging them to meet with one another because that's how you spur each other on. That's how you love one another. And so, and so to obey that directive, we have to say no to being isolated, and we have to say yes to being involved at some level because you need that involvement and the rest of us need you. You see, you have something specific to offer that nobody else has. Who you are, your personality, what you add to the flavor of this church. So clearly some of those early Christians had dropped out. Let's not do that. And, and let me just say this. We don't need to change churches so easily. You know, I, I guess this is a phenomenon of, of really the modern church because there are churches on every corner, you know? There are many, many churches that meet whichever tribe that you belong to, whichever denomination you grew up in, whichever faith that you have. There's multiple churches and when things don't go exactly the way I want them to go or somebody rubs me the wrong way, I'm just going to take my toys and I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to a different church or I'll just stop going altogether. No. No. That's not the way it should be in the body. In fact, it's when we rub each other the wrong way sometimes that, that we, we, God allows that so that we work through that and we grow stronger. We love each other more deeply. And from the heart, it doesn't mean that everybody is everybody's best friend. Everybody's got to be everybody's best buddy or BFF. But it means that we love each other. When I was a freshman at, at Lipscomb, one of my Bible professors, uh, he was an older man at the time. He was hearkening back to when he was a young man, a new preacher, holding his very first gospel meeting. So this was some time ago. He said he got there, and this is back when they were, you know, they had a, a full week gospel meeting from Sunday to Sunday. And he says he got there, everybody greeted him Saturday, they had a meal, it was really nice. He got out to preach on Sunday, and when he stood up on the, on the stage, there was no carpet. There was no carpet on the stage. Oh, the rest of the church had carpet, but, but nothing on the stage. Well, he got up and he preached, came back that night, preached his heart out again. Monday night, he came and he spoke, and he said, long about Tuesday, he says, I just, I just couldn't understand why they didn't have carpet. He said, surely they knew I, I was coming, and they knew that there was a gospel meeting. It had been planned for months and months in advance. So he said, it just got the better of me. And so he said, I asked one of the elders, why is there no carpet 
I'm just curious. Why is there no carpet on the stage? You guys have known about this gospel meeting for a long, long time. He said, well, let me just tell you. I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, there was uh, one of our ladies. Um, she gave some money specifically to, to put some new carpet on the stage because we knew this gospel meeting was, was, was happening. And so um, he said, okay. But she kind of got sideways with, with another member, and she got really upset, and she had us pull the carpet up, the carpet that she bought because she was no longer going to be a member of this church. True story. She got so upset with somebody about something. I don't know what it was. He didn't know what it was. But she had them rip up the carpet that she had paid for. And she stopped going to that church. No, no, no. When we have trouble, already we have an image problem with the world, do we not? They, they laugh at us. People would mock us for being here on a Sunday morning, a wet, rainy Sunday morning. Why don't you sleep in? Get up and have coffee about 10 or 10.30, a stack of pancakes, ease into the day. That's my, that's my dream morning, but not on Sunday. I want to be here. See, the, church, the, the world is laughing at us. You guys are fools. You're, you're, you're foolish. So when we take our toys and we go home, what does that say to the world? We can't even get along with each other, see? That's what it says. Why would I, why would I want to be a part of that? No, no, we love each other. We work it out, we pray for each other, we encourage one another, and we stay together. And all the more as we see the day approaching. A day is coming. A day is coming when we can no longer love and serve each other in this way. So let's make the most. Let's make the most of our, of our time here. Let me just say this. If there is some encouragement that you need to give to someone, do that today. If there is some love that you need to extend to someone, do that today. Don't wait. If there is a hug that you need to give, if there is some forgiveness that you need to extend to someone here today, do that today. Don't wait. Life is way too short. And we need to love each other sincerely, deeply, from the heart. Maybe you noticed in our text this morning a very familiar trio. It happens a lot in the Bible. The way all of this comes together, I love it. Verse 22, faith. Verse 23, hope. Verse 24, love. Faith, hope, and love. We need to grow in our faith. 
We need to grow in our hope. And we need to deepen in our love for one another. The great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For when perfection comes, he says, the imperfect disappears. And then he closes the chapter and he says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast our profession of faith. Let us spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, oh, Father, we love you. We love you with all of our hearts. Father, we're so grateful that the curtain was torn into the body of Jesus, allowing us to enter into the very presence, your presence, our God and our creator. And Father, we come before you this morning confidently, not casually, not flippantly. Father, we acknowledge that you are a holy and an awesome God. And on one hand, Father, we're, we shake in our boots because you are, are so amazing and so holy and powerful. And yet, Father, because of Jesus, our great high priest, we come into your presence with confidence. Confidence, knowing that you hear us and that you love us and that we can call you Abba, Father. Father, let us encourage one another. Help us to spur each other on. And Father, I pray that if there is some love and forgiveness that we need to extend to one another, that we'll do that even before we leave this place. Father, if there's someone here that needs to respond to your gospel, I pray that they will do that this morning that they would give their lives to you, that they, as just like these old Christian brothers of ours, they made this profession of faith. They were baptized into Jesus, and you washed away their sins. Father, I pray if someone here is ready to make that commitment that they'll do that. Father, thank you that you carry our burdens, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And Father, we pray this and we know that you are a keeper of your promises, for he who promised is faithful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.